Hey, community of faith, I hope you're doing good today. Listen, um, this week I was scrolling through social media and I came across one of my friend's posts and she posted a meme and it said that in 2015, nobody got the answer correct to the question, what will your life look like in five years? And man, that is so true if you think about it. There's not a single person on the planet who predicted that 2020 would look like 2020 looks. We've all been impacted. We all have something shared right now, and that's such a unique time in our history, but it's also brought a lot of kind of chaos, um, some uncertainty, some unexpected circumstances. I just need to say this, you know, it's beginning to feel like football season is not going to happen, and that's becoming more of a reality. And uh, so I, I, that, that makes me sad. And so um, you may need to check on me this week. Your prayers are appreciated because uh, it's, it's just one of those times where we're not getting to do a lot of the things that we thought we were going to do. And over the last several weeks, we've been kind of navigating this season, looking at the book of Joshua, the life of Joshua, the life of the Israelites, to try to gain some peace for where we are right now, but also to gain some purpose and understand some purpose in the days that are ahead. And so today, today I want us to dive into Joshua chapter 2, and I want us to look at a story that I believe is going to give us some understanding about what faith really looks like from a unexpected character in the Bible. And so if you've got your Bible, you've got your Bible app, whatever it is you read scripture from, you want to grab that. You can look at the sermon notes. The the passages are found in there too. But Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 says this, Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, it's interesting. This is a wartime. So think about war movies you've seen. In times of battle, every army, every nation is trying to get intelligence from behind enemy lines in order to have the best battle plan to be effective in defeating the enemy. And that's exactly what Joshua has done. He has sent some spies to Jericho to investigate, to find out what's going on behind the walls of Jericho so that he can develop and have a plan that's going to win the battle that is ahead of them. And so he sends these two spies. And what's interesting is they go to the house of a harlot. So here's this lady. And this is what I want us to do today is I want us to begin to take the perspective of someone that's living within the walls, within the security of Jericho. This woman, Rahab, begin to understand like she might understand and think like she's thinking. All of a sudden, these two spies show up at her house from a foreign land, a foreign nation, actually an enemy that wants to take out her city. So she's in this place, the comfy confines of her nation, the security of her nation. All of a sudden, she's beginning to realize there's somebody that wants to hurt them, that wants to take them out. And all of a sudden, these two men show up at her house. And when I was a kid, I didn't think about this, but now that I'm an adult, I begin to think about, that feels a little bit shady that these two guys show up at her house. And so today, we're going to look and understand some lessons from two spies and a shady lady and begin to think, why did these guys go to her house? It feels like maybe they were taking a break from what they were called to do from their mission. But what was interesting is they actually went to this place because it helped conceal their identity. It wasn't abnormal for foreigners, even foreign soldiers, to show up in Jericho and go to the house of a harlot. It would have seemed normal and it would have seemed routine. So these men go there. We find ourselves in the scene. In verse 2 it says, It was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, Men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab using Jay-Z and T.I. And he says, Woo! 
bring them out, bring them out, bring them out. That's in Wes's translation of the Bible. That's not really what it says. It'd be cool if it did. But it says the king sent word to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come out to search all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. So she lies. She says, hey, yeah, there were some men here, but I don't know who they were, and I'm not sure why they were here or where they came from. But yeah, they were here. And she continues on. She says, it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gates. So she's hidden them. She's lied to the, the, the officers from her nation, from Jericho. And then she goes up to the men on the roof and she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you went out. You came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Now here's what's going on. Think about this. Rahab and all the people of Jericho have heard about this group of people, the Israelites. And they've heard about the fascinating miracles, the things that have happened so that they could escape the captivity of the Egyptians. How they showed up at the Red Sea with nowhere to go, with the enemy pursuing them. And the Red Sea was parted. And so they're in this time of uncertainty. Their nation is going to be attacked by an unfamiliar threat. All of a sudden, things feel a little bit unstable, a little bit uncertain. They're not sure what to expect in the future. Very similar to the times that we find ourselves in. But there's an awareness. There's a unique awareness that Rahab has specifically for the Lord. And she mentions that. And she talks about the result of that for some of the people around her. They're terrified. She's giving the spies some healthy, helpful information, some intelligence to take back to Joshua. But then check out verse 11. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now it's important for us to recognize something here. Because in this day and time, henotheism was something that was very popular and persistent in this culture. Every nation had their own God and they all understood that. It was normal to think that the people of Jericho would have a different God than another nation. But in this moment, Rahab makes a confession. She makes a declaration. And it's important for us to see this because what she's saying is she's saying, Yahweh is the God of heaven and of earth. What she's doing, she's saying, Yahweh is elevated above every other God that we've believed in or that any other nation would believe in. She's saying, He is the God. She's saying, he is my God. Yahweh is the God and Yahweh is my God. And then in verse 12, Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. She's pleading with them. And she's saying, will you, will you not just um, protect me, but will you protect those that are close to me? And they make a promise to her. It says, The men said to her, Our life for yours if you do not tell this business of ours. And it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. The spies make a promise to this lady. 
They make a promise to Rahab. We'll protect you. You got to hold up your end of the deal. Don't tell our business to the rest of Jericho. Then it continues down. She basically, she, she lets them go by a rope through a window. And she says to them, go to the hill, hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Remember, she had told the pursuers a lie. She said they already left. So she knew what they were going to do to go try to find the two spies. And so she gives them a plan. She helps them out. She's acting on the awareness that she has of their God, of a God she's, becoming to under, she's beginning to understand more. She's acting as a result of that. And then they basically repeat the oath to her. But notice what they say in verse 18. It says, Unless when we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down and gather to yourself into your house your father, your mother, your brothers, and your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house... His blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. And then verse 21, she says, According to your words, so be it. She agrees to it. They've made promises. They've made oaths to each other. But then she has a choice to make. Would she listen? Would she respond? Says she sent them away. They departed and she tied the scarlet cord to the window. So here's a woman in a time of uncertainty, in a time of maybe where her security or in the nation that she thought would always protect her and keep her safe. All of a sudden, that all feels a little bit unstable. And these two spies show up, and there's an awareness that she begins to understand about a God who is for her, just like he is for the Israelites. She has a choice to make. Would she just be aware Or would she be aware and understand in such a way that she would respond? Would she have faith? Would she believe in this? Well, based on what she does in verse 21, I would say that she has faith because she does exactly as they say that she should do. She believes, she responds because of her faith in this God that she's becoming aware of. You know, it's interesting that the spies show up to somebody like Rahab, someone who's got a label, I mean, we find out that Rahab is a harlot. It's a label on her life. She is known as the woman of the night. It's not an appealing label. It's not a label that she was probably proud of. It's probably something she preferred to conceal if she was out around in the public. But yet, there's this encounter. What's interesting about a prostitute in all of history, prostitution has never been a profession that people have pursued. It's always been something that has been forced. So she's almost been held captive to this life. And these two spies show up, and it's an opportunity for her to understand and become aware of a God who is pursuing her to flip the script of her life, to change who she is, to change her from her old life to her new life. It's not just her story, but that's our story in Jesus. We have labels that we carry. We have identities that we hang on to. There's things that we believe about ourselves. There's things that people believe about us, and we carry those things around with us, and we're not proud of them. We don't like to talk about them. If we could just kind of keep them pushed back, that would be best for us. Sometimes, some of the labels that you and I carry, some of the disappointments from our past, some of our past failures, not only do we want to keep them pushed back, but they actually keep us distanced from God because we think that God would never accept us because of who we are. 
Maybe it's what's kept you from going to church and now we find ourselves in a season where no one goes to church and so you're sitting in the same place as anyone else who may think they're close to God and you feel far from God because of some of the labels in your life. It's interesting to me that the spies show up and they don't begin to make conditions about her life and say, you need to fix this, you need to change this, you need to adjust your lifestyle. Her lifestyle, her label, her past was not an obstacle to God. And for some of us today, we need to hear that because the labels that you've believed about yourself for the last several years, maybe your entire life, are no obstacle to the grace of God in your life. God wants to work in your life. He wants to rescue. He wants to redeem. He wants to flip the script of your life just like he does for the life of Rahab. What's interesting is you go on and you read the rest of the story. We know how the battle of Jericho goes down. The the walls fall down. The Israelites take the city but they save and they rescue Rahab and her family, everyone that's in her house, because she was obedient with the scarlet rope that she put out her window. And I learned some things from Rahab this week. I learned some things from this shady lady that I think we can adapt and we can evaluate in our own lives to begin to continue to grow and become more of who God wants us to be. When I look at the life of Rahab and I look at the faith of Rahab, her faith rescued her. It was her faith of putting the scarlet robe or the scarlet rope in her window that brought protection for her from God's wrath. It was her faith that gave her refuge in her house to bring those close to her inside her house to protect them. There was a place of no fear, all because of her faith. Rahab's faith didn't just rescue her, but Rahab's faith stood alone. You know, it's one thing to believe the same thing that everybody else believes, but it's a whole other thing to believe and be the only one who believes that one thing. Rahab did this. You know, this week I was uh, fishing with my boys. We went down to the coast and we're on this pier and we were actually doing a lot of casting, not a lot of fishing because we weren't catching a lot of fish. You've had days like that probably if you're a fisherman. And then as we were sitting on this dock, it was getting late at night, the tide was going out and this fish went floating by and Braden, my son, says, hey dad, what kind of fish is that? And I was like, that's a dead fish, son. You know, a dead fish is always going the way of the current. A live fish has the ability to force itself upstream. And we see that on display in Rahab's life. Our culture leads us, our culture dictates our thoughts and our, our, our understanding and our belief in all areas of our lives. We get caught up in masks or no masks. We get caught up in pandemic or scamdemic. We're all over the place and trying to believe different things, trying to find what's true, what we can really place our hope and our trust in. And oftentimes what dictates what we believe are the things that we think we'll, we'll find the least opposition in. And so we go to what's easy. Rahab doesn't go to what's easy. There was opposition all around her for what she believed, yet she chose to believe it anyways. I think about this in her life, and as I begin to reflect on her faith, not only did it stand alone, but it was consistent. In a time of instability, in a time of uncertainty, in a time of fear, her faith was consistent. And I think the reason is because she had an understanding. She had an awareness of what God had done in the past. She had heard stories about God's faithfulness in the life of the Israelites. She had heard the story of the parting of the Red Sea and how they had no way out. 
You know, we wrestle with this tension as Jesus followers, as someone who maybe is even on the fence today about a God who loves you and have a, has, a, has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're trying to decide, do I really want to trust this? And the tension you find yourself in is the tension between probability and promise. And as long as those things are in alignment going in the same direction, faith is easy. But where faith gets difficult, but where it also gets life-changing is when probability begins to go in a different direction than promise. It's when you begin to look at a situation, you begin to say, there is absolutely no way. But I believe anyways, because I know God is good and I know that God is for me. And so I'm going to choose to trust in his promises rather than in the probability. Some of you today may find yourself in a place where you're at the Red Sea. And probability says there's no way. You're struggling when you look at the life of a child maybe who's living in a rebellious life hurting themselves and you're wishing that you could rescue them and there's nothing you can do in your own power and you've begun to believe there's absolutely no way. It's that Red Sea moment, but it's where you press in and you trust and you you call on God, believing and trusting that God's love for your child is stronger than your love for your child. He loves him. He loves her. And it's trusting and believing in his promises. Maybe it's the 401k that's just kind of gone into the tank. The economy is going down. Business is not going as it used to go. We find ourselves in a different place where we think there's no way. There's no way. Faith says there's no way, but I believe. And we see this in the life of Rahab. I was thinking about this and I was like, what would a conversation with Rahab look like in this season? Like, Rahab, hey, let's, let's sit down and talk about this. I know that you think that uh, you need to trust this, this other God, this, this Yahweh. But can we just think about this? You're, you're, you're doing all this because of the Israelites. You realize they're on the other side of the Jordan. I mean, what is there to be afraid of? They can't get across the Jordan River. It's in flood stage right now. At best, they're going to have to march north. They're going to have to cross somewhere upstream. They're going to face other nations before they ever get to Jericho. So they're going to be beat up. They're going to be busted up. They're going to be defeated already. We don't have anything to worry about. Are you, are, are you, are you kidding me, Rahab? What, what, are you, what are you struggling with? And then they cross the Jordan. And I got to think that in that moment, when Rahab hears that the Israelites have crossed the Jordan, they've gotten closer to Jericho, that her faith actually began to grow, while those around her began to struggle with more fear, with more uncertainty. We find ourselves in a similar place, but it's in the times of uncertainty, it's in the times of fear that God wants to do some of his biggest work, and he's wanting to do some of his biggest work in your life right now, as we are in a nation, we are in a crisis, we are in a time where things feel uncertain, where things feel a little bit scary, Fear is real. You've got to remember his promises. You know, in the Bible it says, do not fear 366 times. That's one time for every day of the year, including 2020, which is leap year. 366 times. To remember his promises rather than the probability or the reality going on around our lives. I've got to think that Rahab, is you're thinking about being in her mind and her perspective the Israelites begin to march around the city. And she's probably thinking, man, it's, it's, it's happening. I'm, they're going to protect me. But they're just marching. And so the skeptics around her are probably thinking, hey, Rahab, are you sure about this? This isn't looking very probable. She's like, just give it time. Just give it time. Day two, they still are just marching. 
No ladders going up on the wall. No one's trying to throw ropes over the walls and climb up these walls to get to the people of Jericho. But then on day seven, there was a shout and the walls fell down. And I got to think in that moment as Rahab has been pressing through her fear with faith, that her faith exploded. Because as the walls fell, the Israelites attacked the city, but they preserved her life and the life of those that had found refuge in her home. Because in that entire time, in that entire sequence, the scarlet robe had been hanging out her window. It was a display of her faith. It was a display of her trust that this God, Yahweh, cared about her and that he would protect her. But it was her faith that rescued her because she trusted. She believed what the spies had said to her because of their faith in the same God. Some powerful lessons to be learned. Some powerful things for us to take away. But when I think about the scarlet letter, I was considering it this, this week. It's resembling of the Passover. It parallels with the Passover. The Passover was a a remembering time, a time that the Israelites celebrated every single year because it pointed back to the time where God had rescued them from captivity, where God had provided them freedom. He had protected protected them from his wrath. He had protected them from the death angel because what he had commanded them to do is to take the blood of a spotless lamb, of an innocent lamb, and spread it across their doorpost. And that the death angel was going to come by at night and it was going to strike dead the firstborn of every family except for those that had acted in faith, trusting God's promises. And by trusting, he protected them from his wrath. They found refuge. There was nothing to be afraid of. And they remembered that and they celebrated that every Passover. It was a Passover meal. It was something they continued to celebrate but also to look forward to the ultimate spotless, unblemished lamb that is Jesus. Jesus is the atonement. Jesus is the rescue. He's what allows us to be protected and rescued and saved from the wrath of God, but also to live every single day, not just one day in heaven without fear, but today in a day of uncertainty. It's because what Jesus did when he went to the cross, not just his arrival, not just his life, it's, it's the fact that he went to the cross, that he gave his life. His blood was poured out so that you and I could be protected, so that we could have life and we could live forever with our heavenly father. He was the atonement. And just like the Passover, just like the scarlet rope, there's a way for us to remember that. Because I think when we remember that, it stirs something in us. It stirs a strength. It stirs a consistency. I think it's as we remember Jesus, like the Israelites remembered the Passover, like Rahab remembered the scarlet rope. It's as we remember Jesus, as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, that we find power, that we find strength, that we find courage, that we're able to stand alone, that we're able to be consistent in unstable times. And so what I think the proper way for us to wrap our time together this week is to remember through communion. That's what communion is. Jesus knew that we would have a difficult time remembering. I mean, have you ever, ever forgotten something? Let me, let me simplify the question a little bit. Have you forgotten anything this week? Did your spouse ask you to do something? You said you would do it and then you forgot to do it. 
or she was kind of on your case or he was on your case. You're like, man, I, I'm not going to forget. And then you forgot. And you're like, oh, shoot, what do I need to do now? I, got, I, I can't let her know. Or I can't let him know that I forgot. Just last week, I was walking around frantic here at the church looking for my AirPods. And I had my AirPod case in my hand and I was walking around and David Rudd, who plays in our worship band here at Community of Faith, he looked at me, he goes, what are you looking for, man? And I was like, I can't find my AirPods. And he thought I was kidding. He was like, dude, are you serious? I was like, no, I, I can't find my AirPods. Have you seen them? He's like, they're in your ear. And in that moment, I was like, man, I'm such a fool. I can't believe I didn't realize that. I'd forgotten that they were in my ear. I didn't even realize it. We have a tendency to forget. And Jesus knew that. So the night before he went to the cross to be the rescue, to be the one that could protect us, to protect us from the wrath of God, but also give us the ability to have life. He was celebrating the Passover, celebrating the Passover lamb. And in the Passover meal, he says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Here's what Jesus did. The night before he's going to the cross, these men, these disciples have been, have been remembering the Passover for decades. Their grandparents, their grandparents, grandparents had been celebrating God's goodness, God's faithfulness to protect them and to give them freedom from the Egyptians. And Jesus was stepping onto the scene. He was saying, tomorrow, my body's going to be broken. What he wanted them to see is he wanted them to understand, hey, when you take this bread and you break this bread, remember it, this is my body, my body that was broken for you. What he wants us to remember is that he was fully God and fully human, that he knows what it's like to live life in times of uncertainty. He knows what it's like to live life in times of difficulty. When we feel oppressed, when we feel discriminated against, when we feel left out, when we feel pushed out, when we feel broken, when we feel disappointed, Jesus understands what that feels like because he lived the same life. So when he says, take the bread and remember my body that was broken, what he wants us to remember is that he knows what it's like to live life in this life. And he chose it. He chose that for you and for me. And so when I remember that, I'm not remembering some creature or some God or some distant being who we say cares about us but never came near to us. Jesus arrived to live the life that he lived so that he, we would know that he cares that much about us, so much so that he wanted to live the life so that we could understand. So he says, take this bread and remember me. And then he says, take the cup. This is in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, take the cup and remember it's my blood that was poured out. Because remember, it took a spotless lamb to earn forgiveness on our behalf. He did what you and I couldn't do. He lived the perfect life despite the brokenness, despite the disappointment, despite all that we've gone on, all that's gone on in this world, all that we've experienced. And he lived the perfect life so that he could be the sacrifice so that we could have what we never earned and what we don't deserve. So he says, when you take this cup and you drink it, remember my blood that was poured out and what you get to experience because of what he experienced, what he did for you and for me. And so the way we want to wrap up today is by remembering Jesus through communion. 
And so Jessica's going to come and she's going to sing a song. And I just want to push you in this a little bit. We're not in church like we're normally in church these days. And over the years, we've celebrated communion. We've remembered Jesus every single week. We haven't been able to do that. And one of the values of that, one of the good things about not doing that every single week is it gives us an opportunity to truly remember and not just participate in a routine. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. That you take the bread and the cup, whatever it is you're using there for communion. And before you actually eat the bread or drink the cup, that you would, you would seriously sit and reflect. Maybe reflect on the lyrics of the song that Jessica's singing. And reflect on what does it really mean to you. Because just like Rahab, it's not enough to just be aware. It's not enough to just understand some things about God. He's calling us to respond. And the only adequate response to what Jesus did on our behalf is to lay our own lives down and say, Jesus, here's my life. I give it to you. I trust it in your hands. You are ultimate. And so would that be our response as we take communion together from wherever you're at? God, we trust you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he accomplished on our behalf. And in these next few moments, we simply want to reflect. We want to remember, not in a historical way, but because we want to experience you right now. So right now, as we remember and we reflect on Jesus, would you work in only ways that you can work? In Jesus' name, amen.
Friends, listen, these are days that nobody, me, not you, no one can predict what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, at the end of 2020. And I know that that can shake us up, but I also know that God is good and that he is good for you and he is good for me and that his love is strong for us. And I know that in this season, over the last few weeks, as we've been walking through this series, just trying to find some peace where we are, some understanding that even today, as we looked at the life of two spies and a shady lady, that it's led us to a place where we've had to make some decisions because a relationship with Jesus is all about not just a one-time commitment, but it's all about progress that we're making. So there's next steps involved. And I know that even today, as there's been the last few weeks, there are some of you today that you decided to trust Jesus with your life for the very first time. Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting you. Maybe you haven't decided that yet, but you're kind of on the fence. And I would just encourage you right now, just tell him, say, Jesus, I trust you. You are ultimate. Show me how to live. And if that's you today, if that's been you over the last couple of weeks, that's not something that we've asked you to do in private all by yourself. That's what church is. You see, church isn't just us gathering together on the weekends in a building. We don't even get to do that anymore. But church is you and me loving Jesus and loving each other and living this life after Jesus together. And so we wanna live that life with you. And so what I wanna ask you to do and encourage you to do right now is get your cell phone out. I'll give you a second, go ahead and grab it. Take it away from your kids, whatever you need to do. And text COF NEXT to 97000. Once you do that, you'll get a link. And on that link, you'll find a place to tell us, I committed my life to Jesus today. Maybe you committed your life to Jesus today or in the last couple of weeks, but you've not taken that next step of baptism. It's an important step. It's us telling the world that we've decided to follow Jesus. And so just check that box. And our team will be in contact with you. We can't do baptisms the way that we used to, but we have a plan. And we would love to, for you to be a part of a celebration we're gonna do in a few weeks to celebrate, celebrate baptism with you and with those around you. Maybe you just wanna grow. You're like, man, I need to take some next steps. You can check the box on that link that says, I wanna be strong and courageous. And when you do that, you're gonna get a link sent to you. You're gonna resource sent to you that our team has put together all about helping you take some practical steps and learning some new disciplines in your life so that you can become more of who God is calling you to be in this time of crazy chaos and uncertainty. Community of Faith, we love you. I pray that you have a great day. Let me pray, and then we'll see you back here next week. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for the hope that we have in you. I thank you that you sent Jesus to be our rescue so that we could experience a new life so that our life could begin to change even now while we're still in this broken, messed up, dysfunctional planet that you want to work in us even now, not someday when we get to heaven, but you want to begin that work in us today and we're grateful for that. I pray that you would help us to be strong, help us be courageous in these days. Gotta pray for courage for those that are beginning to trust you for the very first time today. Would they feel your presence close to them wherever they are, no matter how far they are from us, would you be close to them? God, we ultimately, we love you. We trust you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.